I'd like you to turn in your Bible with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And um, uh, I'm going to have Bob, I'm going to have you come up here. Um, I know you can shout loud enough for the people down there. But I, I just want you to come up here on the platform with me. Also, I, uh, for the sake of people listening online, and I'd just like you to, to share what you began to share just a moment ago. Um, as we were sitting there in worship, I just um, was just compelled to get on my knees and worship because I could just I could just hear the echo of the hosts of heaven just singing. It was like thousands and thousands of angels were just in our presence and just worshiping the Lord. And I just felt the only right thing to do was to bow down before him as as I could hear all, everyone around me was Thank you, Lord. the presence of the Lord the presence of the Lord uh, last Sunday night many of you were here last Sunday night lift up your hand if you were here as we gathered together in this place with with Ben Brown and his Ben and Jill and their family. And it, it wasn't just um, them being here and doing worship, although I, I felt for the first time, I have somebody leading worship that is a reflection of my heart in worship. That's how I felt as Ben was leading. And I got to wander around through the people and there were, I don't know how many churches represented, uh, maybe four or five other pastors, and um, we had to get more chairs. And, but the presence of the Lord was so strong. Linda Tucker just slipped out, but um, she said, in all the years that I have been here at this church, she said, I have never felt the presence of the Lord so tangible as last Sunday night. And God, I had Bob come up here to share that <clears throat> because God is doing something in this time right now. He is presencing himself and he is making his presence very, very uh, accessible, very, very accessible. And I'm thinking now of my pastor friend uh, who pastors in DeKalb, Illinois, and he took a vacation, um, and he said, where should I go on vacation, Lord? And the Lord led him to go to a monastery in Chicago, and he has never identified with, with uh, any kind of, of uh, uh, faith that is orthodox or anything like that, but there were about 10 or 12 monks that lived in the monastery in Chicago. And he was there. Um, he said, honestly, the services that, that I was a part of, he was a part of two or three different services. They were, the people from the outside would come in. And he said, honestly, they were as dead as they could be. But the moments of prayer where the monks would take turns for, uh, for like two hours at a time, in that monastery, lifting up their voices to the Lord and just offering 
individual praise, and he got to be the, the mouse in the corner as the presence of the Lord just began to pour into him. And he just went, whoa, as the presence of God poured into him. In this orthodox place that's often known for its religiosity and condemned for its re re religiosity, the presence of God began to manifest. But then when the people would come in, there was nothing. There was nothing. And, and so the Lord began to speak to my friend. And it was, it was when there was just one or two people in there and the reverence of the Lord was, was being shown in the place that God would presence himself. And the Lord spoke to him and said, and said Son, you have quit offering me reverence by making me accessible. And he said, this church has made, it, has made me inaccessible because of their extreme reverence. Wow. And he said, I want you to do both. I want you to revere and honor my name like these monks do. And I want you to make me accessible to the people. And that's what Jesus did, right? That's why the religious people didn't like Jesus so much is because he made God accessible. He did not shun, Jesus did not shun the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners and the people that lived on the wrong side of the tracks. He made God accessible. And he rebuked the Pharisees and he rebuked the teachers of the law. And he said, he said, you're just outward show. But these are coming in. And God is presencing himself, not just to the elders of the church, not just to the leaders in the church. He is presencing himself to every single person that is hungry for him. Hallelujah. And we say, thank God for that. The kingdom is here. And the kingdom is tangible. And the kingdom is supposed to touch the lives of people. It's not just an idea that we talk about. It's not just something that's up there somewhere. The kingdom of God is present here among us to touch every single life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so Jesus made the kingdom accessible to the people. And so he, he would drive out demons, something that the that the, 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 the Pharisees, you know, they talked about how powerful God was, but they never saw demons driven out. And, when, and Jesus said, when you see demons driven out, that's the kingdom. It is among you. Your friends, you know, John the Baptist, what did he come preaching? The kingdom of God is about to appear. I'm preparing the way for it. Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God is here. It is among you now. And he began to teach about the kingdom of God. And so when you draw near, you, you come to church. And a lot of people just go to church and it's just a part of their routine. 
Um, and it's just a religious thing. I do it on Sunday. And a lot of people fall into that category. And that's why that service in the monastery was dead. It was just religious. This is what I do on Sunday. It's my family's tradition. But it did not change anything on the inside. And that kind of religiosity stinks in the eyes of God. Jesus came to establish a kingdom. I don't want you to go to church. I want you to be a part of God's kingdom. I want you to be in the kingdom. I want you to be a part of it. And so my, my wife, um, she grew up, uh, she grew up Catholic. And, uh, and so she talks to me all the time. And the reason, so we're excited this Christmas. We are celebrating uh, the Christmas season. We're going to do it very traditionally, but very powerfully this year um, as, we, as we celebrate. Um, uh, she has a word for it. I can't even remember it. Advent. We're going to celebrate Advent. And uh, we're, we're so looking forward to that. And so she's always pulling these things from, from her uh, childhood that impacted her in a phenomenal way. Um, now that she's a believer. But before that, the, they had a whole family that went to church every Sunday. They were, in, they were in the building every Sunday. They took communion every Sunday. They listened to the sermon every Sunday. They were incredibly religious, but they were incredibly lost. Never mind that their marriage was falling apart they were in church every Sunday. Never mind that they were uh, drunk every Friday night, every Saturday night, and, and were uh, addicted. They were in church on Sunday. Uh, never mind that their children were all going astray. They were in church every Sunday, religious in every way, but not a part of the kingdom. And then my father-in-law uh, uh, got invited as being a drummer to drum for a Christian band. He, uh, through that experience, long story short, encountered Jesus, the risen Savior. And he gave his life to Christ. And for the first time, he had been all religious his whole life. And for the first time, he's a part of the kingdom. He had been born again. And he was never the same. Hallelujah. Ho. Oh. And so, and so we started going to church. This is, none of this is in my, this is my introduction this morning. Um, uh, he started going to church. He started going to church every uh, single week, uh, every Sunday night, because the, these guys that were in this band, they went, they had church Sunday morning and Sunday night. And how many of you remember those days when, when we had church Sunday morning and Sunday night? Um, and, we, well, you can practice that next week. We got baptisms Sunday night. Um, and so he started, he, he would go to his church with his family in the morning, continued, and then with, with uh, his friends on Sunday night, and he found out something. God is accessible. It is not about all these traditions and rituals. It is about a relationship with Jesus. And he started telling everybody about Jesus. And it wasn't long before, it took three months, his wife met Jesus. 
God healed their marriage. He got off of drugs. He was set free from alcohol. God healed his marriage. And, uh, and, and uh, a miracle started happening in his home. And it wasn't about six months later that they completely switched to the other church because that's where they found life and that's where they were growing in their faith. And, and so they rooted down there. This was about 1986 or 1987 and they've been in the same church since 1986 serving the Lord. I'll, I, I want to tell you this, though. When, when they made that decision, that their family turned their back on them. Their family turned their back on them. Why? Because they didn't do religion the same way anymore. They wanted the old Steve. They, wanted the, they, they would rather have the Steve that's a drunk. They would rather have the Steve that's addicted to drugs and do religion the way they thought they should. And they said, never mind that your marriage is whole. Never mind that you're free from alcohol. Never mind that you're full of joy. Never mind that you're always talking about Jesus now. You're not doing things the way we think you should. Isn't that the way religion operates? We would rather have you in your bondage and doing things the way we think. And that's why Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, you're full of dead men's bones. John chapter 3. I credited this verse to Jesus when I shared this a little bit on Thursday night. But it wasn't Jesus, it was John the Baptist. In verse 36. I want to share with you this morning, as we're celebrating this Thanksgiving season, the number one thing that I am thankful for is that Jesus has lifted the curse of sin off of my life. <laughs> Are you thankful for that? You might leave this morning not having learned anything new. You might leave this morning uh, having heard this message before. But I, 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 I think that a Christian should never tire of hearing the story of how it all began. Amen? And I, I, I want to bring this, this word this morning. I think it's going to penetrate some hearts. I think it's going to step on some toes too. And I think it's going to really challenge us to ask the question, have I been justified? And I, I want to read this, this one verse that John the Baptist concluded John chapter 3 with verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Can you say praise God for that? He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But let's not stop there. Let's, let's keep reading. 
And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God, everybody say wrath of God, abides on him. The wrath of God abides on him. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, I, I know this. When they disobeyed God and they, they were, uh, Eve was deceived by the snake, Adam outrightly rebelled against God. And they partook of that fruit, that one piece of fruit that they were forbidden. Do not eat from that tree or, or uh, it, it will not go well with you. They were forbidden to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was the one commandment that they had to follow. Wouldn't it be nice if we had one commandment? And if we do this one thing, we'll stay in right relationship with God. There's nothing else that you can do to fall out of relationship with me. Uh, there's just this one tree that you cannot eat from. And if you will avoid that tree, then it's all going to be good in this garden. That was the one command. Oh, um, and then the enemy came, and they ate of the one tree. And uh, all hell broke loose in their lives. Right? And what they did, what, what they did not know, and, and I think if they would have had the full revelation of what would happen if they ate from that tree, don't you think that, I, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't have? I don't know, maybe, that, maybe they were so deceived that they would have anyway. But they, were, they, they ate of the tree, and the curse of sin came upon them. And now because you and I are of the seed of the first Adam, that curse of sin rests upon each one of us. And so they had a child. They had two sons. They had a lot of children, but two in particular that the Bible talks about are Cain and Abel. When you live for 900 years, you can have a lot of kids, right? And, uh, and so your family can grow to be dozens and dozens and dozens. How many kids do you have? Well, we have four, and we can hardly take it. Well, Adam and Eve probably had like 40. I don't know. Um, that's a side trail. And two of them, two of them were Cain and Abel. And I want us to see how heavy the wrath of God abides. And so Cain and Abel, uh, Cain did not like... Uh, Cain did not like Abel. And because Abel's sacrifice was received by God, I'm shortening the story, Cain's sacrifice was rejected by God. And so Cain uh, got, instead of Cain changing his heart so that his sacrifice would be accepted, Cain decided that he was just jealous against his brother. And he decided that his brother was the one that was wrong. And, and that, that uh, if he could just eliminate his brother, everything would be okay. And this junk 
came into his heart. And so verse 6 says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is to have you, but you should master it. And so God's voice, he heard God's voice speak to him. In in the midst of his temptation, God came down and spoke to him and said, Cain, don't go that way. It's sin trying to tempt you that way. Don't go that way. You've got to rule over this desire. You've got to take authority over this desire to sin. Don't go that way. And Cain ignored the voice of God. He ignored the warning that God had given to him, and he went that way anyway. And he killed his brother, became a murderer. The first murder that's recorded in the Bible, Cain killing his brother. And God comes to him. And uh, after he kills his brother, the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And we know that when God asks a question, it's not because he needs an answer. He wanted Cain to respond. And Cain thinks that he can lie to God. Am I my brother's keeper? I do not know. Now he's lying face to face with God. He has no fear of God. He has nothing in him that says, well, maybe this voice I'm hearing out of the heavens that's asking me where my brother is, maybe I ought to tell this voice the truth. But his heart had become hardened. And he didn't tell God the truth. He lied to God. He had become blinded. He had become hardened. Cain said, and so the Lord punished him. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. We're not going to chase that story anymore. But the wrath of God abided on Cain. And so we can pick out characters through the Bible that we think, oh, it's obvious that the wrath of God abides upon that one. And so you, you pick out characters like, Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh, he's a bad guy. And so he kept two million Israelites as slaves. Slavery is bad. Pharaoh is bad. And Moses, when he came, he kept saying, oh, I'll let the people go. And then he would change his mind. And then he sent his armies after him. Pharaoh was a horrible man. And the wrath of God is on Pharaoh. And we 
uh, are right to say that the wrath of God was on Pharaoh, right? And then we pick out another uh, evil character and we think King Saul. King Saul, you know, he turned his back on God. He disobeyed Samuel. And then uh, even he, after he tried to kill David over and over, he was possessed by a demon. And he, he, when he prayed, he couldn't hear from God, so he consulted a witch. And we say, well, the wrath of God was on him. We say, that's right. He's, you're right to say that. The wrath of God is on him. And then we have John come along and say something that is mind-boggling. Because there's a whole lot of people that have not consulted witches and thrown spears and, and uh, kept people in bondage for their, own, for their own advancement and wounded people. Isn't there a whole lot of people that are just normal in the earth that are basically... As far as their actions, they basically don't hurt anybody else, and they basically kind of live in a way that maybe even benefits other people. They, they go to work every day. They do their jobs. They, they are a, a benefit to society. They, they, uh, they, they uh, drive trucks. They work in factories. They, they work in hospitals. They, they are generally good citizens. And I would say that the vast majority of people don't fall into the category of Pharaoh and Herod and Pontius Pilate and King Saul. But the vast majority of people fall into the category of, hey, I'm just trying to live this life. Would you not agree? And yet John makes a statement that is so radical that teaches us something about the nature of sin. And the statement that he makes is, he who does not believe on the Son shall not have life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. And so we find out that you don't have to be a monster of a human being. You don't have to be Hitler. You don't have to be some kind of a person that, that brings atrocity to, to the world in order for the wrath of God to abide on you. And the truth is that without Jesus, the wrath of God abides on every single one of us. Why? Because we're sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. The wrath of God abides on humanity. That was the curse that was placed upon them because of sin. And it was the only option of a righteous God. In the Old Testament, God displayed his wrath over and over and over as a warning. And so the Israelites complained and God cracked open the earth and swallowed them up as his wrath was poured out on the people. That's pretty intense, isn't it? That's pretty intense. And one day, we, we could go, if we had time this morning, to the book of Revelation, and we could see that one day the wrath of God is going to be poured out on humanity once again. The seven seals begin to open. The Son of 
of, of man opens the seven seals and pours out all kinds of incredible things. There's coming a day when it's not going to be like, like COVID, where a, a disease is going to be released and a third of mankind is going to die from it. It's the wrath of God. And that happens again and again and again and again. And we read about this God of revelation that displays wrath against people that are disobedient to him. And we go, God, this does not fit with my understanding of who you are. But the wrath of God is on every single person because of sin. Your own sons and daughters that are so sweet and so beautiful when they come into the earth, the wrath of God is on them. This is the side of the message of the gospel that we don't really like to talk about so much. But there is a reason, friend, that we need a Savior. Let me read you some other verses that are intense. These are intense verses. Now, I'm going to, in about 20 minutes, I'm going to shift gears, and, and we're going to get so excited in this place that, that uh, it, it's going to be incredible because uh, God is not just a God of wrath. He's a God of love. But don't mistake his heart of love to be, uh, to, to be void of judgment and wrath. It is very real. In Romans chapter 1, and verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We're living in a day when the truth is suppressed openly. The, the truth, the media is not after the truth right now. You see, our Constitution supposed that the media would be after truth. And so we have freedom of the press here. But the freedom of the press was supposed to be men and women that were hungry for truth. And it has devolved on every side of the aisle, not to truth-seeking, but to agenda-seeking. And so men are not after truth anymore. They're after spin. They're after spin to get to manipulate. Need I go any further than that? And unrighteousness is exalted in every corner of the earth, and the wrath of God is upon all unrighteousness. All of it. So who suppressed the truth? The wrath of God will be poured out. Let me read another verse. Ephesians chapter 5. Let no one, this is verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, but because of these things, the wrath of God becomes, comes on the sons of disobedience. Now, let me read this list. Let me back up. Verse 3, but fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. Woo! So we're not just talking about big sins. We're talking about the tongue, right? Coarse joking, jesting, which is not fitting, 
but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, no unclean person, no covetous man. I'm telling you, covetousness right now is at an all-time high. Covetous. Do not covet. That's the 10th commandment. Don't, don't lust after what other people have. Don't, don't spend your time saying, well, if I could just be like that person or have what that person has. Do you, you, well, people don't do that that are in the kingdom, though, right? Do you know churches can do that? Churches together can say, oh, I just wished I was, I, I just wish we were like that church. I just wish that we were like that church. Ooh, be careful. Be careful. They have no inheritance. An idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's the list that he's talking about. And then he says, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And um, I could go on and on and on and on. This is part of the gospel message. The wrath of God is on your life. Charles Finney would preach. He would talk all about the wrath of God. And he would not tell them the way out until he saw in them fear. And when his hearers begin to get terrified, at the coming wrath of God, only then would he tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to wait until I see terror in your eyes. It's not my purpose. But I do want us to grasp this, church. This is uncomfortable. This is not easy to talk about. Because the friends in your office that don't know Christ, that basically, basically you like them, but they don't know the Lord. The wrath of God abides in them. Your spouse that doesn't walk with Jesus, the wrath of God is on that one. Your kids that aren't walking with the Lord, the wrath of God abides upon them. And it's difficult to talk about, but it's necessary in the way that we see the world. Jesus had compassion on people. And when we look at people and, and we're tempted to just get angry with how they respond, instead, can we see, hey, without a Savior, that person has no hope. And this is where I once was. I was darkness. I was living in darkness. And so how does a people that are under the wrath of God, how, how do they get that wrath of God off of them 
And there's this little word that's at the beginning. This is, we shouted about it when I first read it. It's at the beginning of what John said in verse 36 of John 3. And, and that verse, oh, this is good. That verse is, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Oh, friend, this is why we talk about Jesus so much. Oh, praise God. Because Jesus is the one that removes the wrath of God from, from your life and from my life. Thank you, Jesus. And we have got to quit seeing people as not deserving the wrath of God. I deserve the wrath of God because God is a righteous God and I was unrighteous. And so I deserve the wrath of God and there's only one that deserved to give the wrath of God, and that's God himself. Drives me crazy when churches think that they're appointed to lash out the wrath of God, to dole out the wrath of God on people. There's only one that's qualified. He's the perfect one. He's the exalted one. He's the creator of, he's the Lord of life. He's the only one that has the right to demand of us how to live. And he's qualified. And he's come. And so I'd like to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 for a moment. And I want to give you some good news today. Verse 9 says, they themselves reported to us what manner of entry you had to you and how you turned from idols to serve the living and true God <laughs> and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Oh, come on. Isn't that good news? We have, we have Jesus that has come to deliver us from the wrath to come. And this is primarily why the gospel has to be preached. Do you know what the word gospel means? The word gospel means good news. Oh, praise God. And so, uh, uh, friend, uh, friends, there is good news for the ones that you, that you hang out with at, at your workplace. There's good news for everyone that, uh, that, that uh, Riley goes to school with. At, at, uh, at, 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 what school do you go to, Riley? Lincoln Junior High. There's good news for every classmate that you have at Lincoln Junior High. Is that there is a way that the wrath of God can come off of people. Jesus, we are waiting for Jesus, who has been appointed by God, the Son of God, to lift the wrath off of people. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody give him praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Father. We give you praise. Hallelujah. Oh, my God, my God, my God. We praise your name. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, let me, let me go to a couple of verses here that ought to prepare you for the giving of thanks for what he has done for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. Oh, this is so good. Uh, let's, let's read two verses from, from this chapter. Let's first read chapter or verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, all things have become new. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Now let's skip down to verse 21, and let's read this one too. For, for God made Jesus, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, thank you, Father. This is a miracle above all miracles, friends, because me, I'll put point to me first, and then I'll point to you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and every single one of us in, the, in here, we had the wrath of God abiding upon us. But now, because of the mercy of God, he became sin for us who knew no sin, and he made the great exchange that we might become the righteousness of God and the wrath of God is no longer on God's people but the righteousness of God lives in me hallelujah yay and that is the miracle that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ hallelujah Woo! I was on my way to hell but Jesus has set me free. Oh, glory to God. Now let's look at a little bit of teaching here in Romans chapter 3. A little bit of teaching in Romans chapter 3. He's talking in verse 9 about Jews and Greeks. Are Jews better than Greeks because they have the law? What then, are we better than they? No, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Every good deed, every righteous act that you have performed, if you are performing that act, expecting that act to produce righteousness in you, it's like a filthy rag. It has no ability to produce righteousness. And so verse 20 says, by the deeds of the law, by doing good, by following the law, by being perfect, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Everybody say justified. That word justified 
is a word that means this. To be declared righteous. To declare or pronounce one to be righteous. Okay? That's an important thing. It's an important thing that I'm declared righteous. And by the deeds of my flesh, it's impossible for that to happen. And so verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a verse you need to memorize this morning. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And this is why people that they don't deserve to go to prison. They, don't, they pay their taxes. They do everything well. But they have a need for a Savior. Because every single person has fallen short. Now, if you live in verse 23, that's a pretty despondent place to live. I'm just a sinner. I can't ever overcome. I've fallen. We've all fallen. Let's have a pity party. But I want to thank God for verse 24. And verse 24 says this. Being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, come on. And so there's that word justified. How am I justified? Am I justified by the law? Am I justified by my deeds? Am I justified by my good living? Am I justified by my good citizenship? Am I justified by paying my taxes? No, I am justified by this one thing. I am justified by the grace of God. And it is a free gift that has been given to me. And I am justified. How, how do I receive that free gift? I do what John said in John 3, 36. I believe on the Son of God. And by believing on the Son of God, when I say, Lord, I come before you, I, I come before you a sinner, I repent of my sins, I turn towards you, I turn towards your grace. Oh, something beautiful happens because I'm on earth. I'm saying, I'm, I'm bowing down my, my heart and my head at the altar in humility, and I'm saying, God, I, it, it's not you that needs me, it's me that needs you. I am lost without you. The wrath of God is on, on my life without you. Have mercy on me, God. And as I declare that on earth at an altar, there's a God in heaven that looks and sees and looks down at me and says, oh, there is one that is calling out to me, that has humbled themselves, that has repented, that has turned their life to me, and I right now declare you righteous in the name of Jesus. Oh, praise God. I declare you righteous and so it is, uh, so you are justified, not by your actions, but freely by the cross. Oh, hallelujah. 
Woo, Jesus. Hallelujah. We're justified by his grace. And so I have been pronounced righteous. I who don't deserve it. Who am I? The hymn writer said, I was once a child of hell, but now I in his image shine. In his image shine. Every good work we're called to do good works in Christ Jesus. We're called to serve. We're called to bless. We're called to, to gather together. We're called to worship. We're called to do all of those things. But we do it from the platform of, of a transformed life because we love him. We cannot earn a thing. And let's close this morning by going to Luke chapter 18. And I want you to see very clearly the difference between mere religiosity and somebody that has been justified. Verse 9 says, he spoke a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Friends, don't be deceived. God does not hear all prayer. If you've heard somebody tell you that he hears all prayer, it's not the truth. This man was praying. God didn't hear him. He prayed thus with himself. God did not answer. His attitude of his heart was wrong. Let's take a listen. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. <laughs> Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. <laughs> wow. Wow. tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but he beat his breast saying God be merciful to me a sinner. 
They both went home that day. One probably to a great meal with his great family. And his great robes and great garments, great house. Feeling great about himself. The other went home that day. Forgiven and free. Justified. Because as he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me. I need your mercy. God looked down over the gates of heaven and pronounced him righteous. The tax collector, sinner. Jesus did not come into the earth to minister to those that already think they're healthy. He said, I've come to save sinners. People that know I need God. Coming to church does not save you. None of those things save you. But when we confess with our mouth, according to Romans 5, and believe, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that's when I'm saved. God have mercy on God have mercy on me. When we gather around our Thanksgiving tables this Thursday, for the believer, I think it's Thanksgiving every day. But specifically this Thursday when the whole nation is celebrating. It's one of my favorite holidays. Because for one day, people stop, many, to say thank you. And when you stop to say thank you, remember to say thank you to Jesus for taking the abiding wrath off of your life and pronouncing you justified. Let's pray right now. Thank you, Jesus. Just close your eyes. Lord, we give you thanks for what you did, the, the, the reason you went to the cross, to take on our sin, to leave it in the grave, and to rise up victorious so that we could look to the cross, the blood that you shed, And we could say, Jesus, have mercy on me. And that as we come 
pronounce you Lord and yield to you. You speak over our lives. Son, daughter, I have made you righteous. Lord, if, if there are any here that really didn't understand before this sermon why Jesus came, they know now to lift the wrath off of my life. God, if there are any here that have never really called out to the Lord and said, God, have mercy on me, I receive you. God, I, I pray that this morning that you'd give them courage to simply say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I receive your gift of life. Because you came that we might have life and life abundantly. You came that we might know what it's like to have the burden of that wrath lifted off. That we might walk with you. If you're here this morning while every head is bowed and every eye is closed and you'd say, Pastor, I've never really yielded my life to Christ. But this morning... I want to yield my life to Christ. Just lift up your hand where you are right now. Just say, yes, that's me. Yes, that's me. Anybody at all? Say, yes, that's me. I was 13 years old, and I said, yes, that's me. And I literally, in my spirit, felt the burden of sin lift off of me. Last January, I prayed with a 93-year-old man 12 years, 12 hours before his death. And I felt the weight of 93 years of sin come off of him. And 12 hours later, he entered into heaven. Friend, if you have never called out to the Lord, call out to him. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Aren't you thankful for salvation this morning? Lord, give us compassion as we go from this place for people that do not know you. That's where we once were. Give us compassion. God, give us an urgency like Peter who preached, save yourselves from this wicked generation. The judgment of God is upon it. Come out from this generation. God, I pray that you'd give us compassion for people that are still in darkness. They're all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, just like we are, touched by the same infirmities, the spiritual disease 
of having the wrath of God upon us. But you have not, you are not willing that any should perish. So you sent your son Jesus. You so loved the world that you sent your one and only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, I pray that we would see the world through those lenses in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said,